All right, I'm talking with Scott Abel. Scott, can you tell me what your presentation was on and what it was about? Yeah, I did a uh, presentation on Web 2.0, and I tried to help technical communicators understand how Web 2.0 technologies can be used in technical communication and training environments. And how many people were there? It's hard to tell, but um, the entire room was full, all the floor was full, and people were lined up out the door. <laughs> so it was, it was very full. So what are some of the Web 2.0 technologies that you talked about? We talked a bit about uh, really simple syndication, also known as RSS feeds. We talked about wikis, blogs, um, geospatial positioning. We talked about tagging. We talked about uh, social networking. And I tried to give kind of a 101 overview really quickly and uh, not delve too much in the details. I did show a few examples, and I pointed out your website, Tech Writer Voices, because I thought it was a good example of uh, how you could leverage podcast technology. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, a couple of people did say that you had pointed out, so I was excited about that. Now, you mentioned something here that I, I'm not too familiar with, geospatial positioning. What's that? Well, it's about um, everything has an identity and a location of some type. So every device, every uh, pe person, every place has a location on the earth. And so there's a movement to kind of tag those things and to keep track of them. It can be used in creative ways for field personnel that work in, uh, let's say, home inspection industry. Uh, a better example might be pest control industry where they have to leave poison someplace. They can barcode the poison, scan the barcode, that latitude and longitude longitude information is stored inside of a database and that can be published later for reuse so that they can go back and retrieve the poison containers. But for documentation professionals, it might be as something as where are all of your community members at? And so you can have them in a database or in a document, but it's really better to look at that information on a map. And so if the information uh, related to mapping and you could actually look at where your users are, you can actually see where they're clustered. And so it just it brings another uh, level of uh, additional information to the web. And okay, you also mentioned tagging. Uh, that may be an unfamiliar concept for many. Can you explain what it is and why people would want to tag things? Sure. Technical communicators use um, what could best be described as psychic powers to decide what content people really want to read because we don't know. And so since we don't know, we should just admit it and do our best to create an architecture, an information architecture and, and a taxonomy that would provide uh, users with enough information to find what they need. But in situations when they can't find things, and in situations where a user, and you probably have this happen to you, you can't find things more than once because you found it once and then you forgot about it and then you needed it again and you needed to go back. Tagging services provide a way for you to remember where things are located on the web. Uh, an example of the service is called Delicious, D-E-L dot I-C-I-O dot U-S. And Delicious is a tagging service that replaces bookmarks. It allows you to share tags with other people so that uh, they can find the information that you found without having to go find it on their own. All right, Scott, a lot of these, these Web 2.0 technologies, blogs, wikis, social tagging, and things like that, they're super cool, they're super uh, pervasive on the web, but when you enter the enterprise setting, the, the companies, they're often conservative, they, they're, not, they're not into this yet. Um, 
Have you seen many companies start to adopt Web 2.0 technologies? Um, actually, yeah. There's an increasing trend in the content management arena that I play in a lot. The uh, vendors of web content management technology are starting to provide wiki and blog technology and social networking capabilities in their tools, which means that you can add an extra level of uh, protection. It kind of goes against the grain of the commercial, or sorry, the consumer uh, use of those products, which is open and free and kind of allows you to publish and share information whenever you want. But inside of corporations, sharing some types of information might be, dis be you know, dis uh, a disadvantage to the company. And so you want to protect it. So I see that content management system vendors are starting to incorporate them and provide a layer of protection. So maybe you have to have approval before you can post that blog post or before you can make a final change to some kinds of documents. The other portion is they are actually using these services internally very successfully. Uh, for instance, intranets are a great place to have polls and surveys surveys and kind of a rating system. So imagine you work for a really big company and you're new and you need to find some experts to help you uh, with something. And imagine that every employee has a page in the intranet and each page can be tagged with keywords that help you find that person. But not only that, what if we had rating systems and employee, uh, other employees rated other employees in the company? So you could find out that there are five people who could help you with that problem, but only two of them are really nice. That sounds pretty cool. Now, one of the things that's really blown people away that I hear, uh, and I've been talking to a lot of users and they keep saying that your presentation was their favorite. You showed a job form site that hooked in with indeed.com. Can you talk a little about, about that and why it's um, cool? Sure. I mean, it's cool, but it's also useful. Um, one of the problems that I uh, used as, as an example was to try to relate to the audience here at the STC conference was an STC chapter website. And we all know that volunteer uh, labor creates the website, maintains all of the STC activities, and, you know, it, we're all volunteers. And so we, we need to have tools that help us do value-added things for members quickly because we run out of time like everyone else. And so I used the Indiana STC website, which is stc-indiana.org, as an example of a site that's about 85% auto-generated content. And what I did for the job bank was I went to indeed.com, I-N-D-E-E-D.com, and I ran some searches on job types in the Indianapolis area within a certain number of miles. And it provided me with some results. But not only did I get the results, I also got a link to an RSS feed that had those particular jobs. And then I went and I searched for 10 different job types. So let's say copywriter, technical writer, medical writer, proofreader, technical documentation manager. And I kept all those feeds and I published them on the Indiana STC site. And what that means is that every time a job that meets that criteria is fed into the Indeed job service, it gets syndicated and published automatically to the Indiana STC website, which is useful, but not for recruiters. And recruiters are the ones that have jobs. And so what we did was we built a form that allowed us to syndicate information back into Indeed. Before, we were just borrowing the information from Indeed and reusing it on our site. Now we're telling recruiters, fill out our form. We've made our form talk to the Indeed database. So if you fill out our form here on the Indiana STC website, you're actually filling out a form in many other job websites and we'll help you publish it automatically, which of course attracts recruiters, which means that our job database gets bigger and bigger and we don't do any of the work. Well, that's, that's really, really a good thing you're doing. I, I saw that and I was really blown away by it. So we actually have an RSS feed pulled from Indeed, but we've not, we've not done the other part that you guys have. Um, I was in a trends 
panel, or I attended a trends discussion, and they were talking a lot about how the trends for the future are more towards community-based writing. What do you think of that? Is yeah, I really think that the community angle is important. I mean, it's the power of network effects. It's Angie's List, if you've ever heard of that, or the um, Better Business Bureau. We've had these kind of networks for a long time where people put all of their opinions about a certain company or a, a product or something into a data repository like the Better Business Bureau. And then the Better Business Bureau offers a service where people can call in for a fee or write them a letter or call, come to their office and they can ask about a certain company and they can get a rating. They can learn the experiences of other people. And so if you take that model to the web, you can see that anything that you do would might be helpful to know if other people thought it was a useful service. So um, the power of social networking allows you to rate and rank things and rely on the information provided by real users as opposed to the marketing departments at those companies. It doesn't mean necessarily that they'll always be the most correct information, but it's another level of um, information that you can use to decide which products and services to buy. Or in this case, which files to download, which documents are going to be the most useful, which online help materials are, are the uh, most helpful. All right, Scott, last question here that I want to talk about. The Content Wrangler is your flagship sort of production uh, publication that you have. Now, and this is based off of blog software, right? I don't know if you classify it as a blog or like an online sort of venue of content, but what has it done for you professionally, personally? Well, I do classify it as a blog only because it's a blogging piece of software that I use to create it. But basically, a blog is nothing more than a website. And so I've used a blogging tool to create a website that draws people in and hopefully provides some engaging content. And uh, it apparently has because I actually have a, a newsletter that uh, is very well subscribed to. I have uh, 16,000 plus members uh, of my mailing list and it grows all the time. And so professionally, it's helped me elevate my career. It's helped me present myself in a way that I wouldn't normally be able to. And it's certainly extended my reach. After all, it's called the World Wide Web. All right. Now, you recently, um, you, okay, you said you had a newsletter with 16,000 people subscribed. Recently, you kind of came out with a new newsletter format. Why did you do this change? What, what was the motive? Um, management. I realized that I was using old school technology to manage my email communications. And so I used an email delivery service, which helps in a few ways. You can load all of your data into the data repository and keep all of your email addresses in one place. You can rely on the service to unsubscribe people and prevent them from receiving future emails when they don't want to receive them. It also automates the process. So you can design an email once and then use the template over and over again which of course saves time. And additionally, when people want to change their uh, user identification, like their email address or any other uh, identifying information, they can do it through this service as opposed to emailing me. You can imagine if I receive 10 or 20 email requests a week, I could make mistakes while I'm retyping their email address into, you know, into the database. But if it, you provide a service to do it, it's very automated and it makes it a lot easier. So it streamlined my work, it made life easier, and I think it gave me a little higher quality. There's still a lot I want to do and I want to attach the blog to the email and uh, I'll write about that so people can learn how to do it or maybe we'll talk about this next year at the STC conference. Uh, all right, but wait, wait, hold on. This triggered one last question, a uh, final question. So I know your blog has a, an RSS feed, right? So I'm curious about why you supplement that with a newsletter which, which is um, pushed out by email. Um, I push it out because of a variety of reasons, actually. One, uh, one reason is because sometimes I want people to uh, notice things that they may have missed. 
and I know that I subscribe to many RSS feeds, but I don't have all the time in the world to read them. So sometimes I miss things, and then a, a human will tell me, did you see the article on so-and-so? And I'll think, How? I, I subscribe to that. How come I don't see it? And it's just because I run out of time. So I use the newsletter as a reminder. And because I use a management tool, I can see how many people click on each of the articles, which also helps me determine what kind of content do people really read. If they click on a link, chances are they're interested enough to click. And sometimes I learn that the content I think is the most popular actually isn't. And the content that I spent an awful lot of time creating, hardly anybody read. So sometimes it's just kind of a way to gauge the popularity. The second reason would be um, to promote things. So I want to promote my involvement in, in, in my clients' uh, involvement. I want to promote activities for the trade associations that I'm involved in. And it gives me an extra way to do that. All right, Scott, thanks for talking to me.